Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm your host, Ellen Parson, editor in chief of ECNM, and I'm here today with a few top executives uh, whose engineering firms recently made our top 40 electrical design firms list in 2023. That came out with our July print edition, and it's also online. Um, so not only are we going to discuss some of their firm's secrets to success, but we're also going to talk about the latest trends they've been seeing in the industry, as well as some of the biggest challenges that they feel like they're going to be facing in the next few years. First, we have Jason Wallum of Henderson Engineers, Brian Levitt of IMEG, and Darren Anderson of Solace O'Brien. So I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves briefly before we kick things off. Uh, Jason, would you like to begin? Uh, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you, Ellen. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on with you today. Uh, my name is Jason Wallum. I'm our Chief Sector of Officer for Henderson Companies. Um, we have two companies that operate underneath that umbrella. Uh, one is Henderson Engineers and one is Henderson Building Solutions. Please check out our websites for more information. Basically, I have the privilege of working across our six se sectors, which are our vertical markets, across our 12 locations, um, focusing on growth and development for our company. Brian, would you like to go next? My name is Brian Lovett, and Ellen thinks we appreciate the opportunity to participate in the discussion today. Uh, we've been with the IMEG team for 23 years, and I currently serve as a technical director of electrical engineering. My stewardship is over IMEG's uh, design standards, our tools, our engineering expertise, and our education programs. Okay, great. Uh, Darren Anderson. Yeah, thanks, Ellen. Uh, thank you, Brian and Jason, as well, for participating. Two great organizations we have a uh, great respect for as well. Uh, so, Solace O'Brien, we've uh, got 2,400 team members across North America, uh, big electrical, mechanical, uh, uh, and uh, structural team. Yeah, I'm the chairman and CEO of the organization. I've been uh, with the organization for 17 years, and yeah, really excited to be here today. Wonderful. It sounds like we definitely have a great group, so I'm excited to hear what you all have to say about the industry, and I'm sure our listeners uh, would second that. So let's jump right into some of the things I'd like to discuss. And um, as you know, every year, as I mentioned before, we have our annual top 40 electrical design firm survey, which the results uh, are published in a special report every year. And that's one of the big things ECNM readers and listeners are very, um, it's very popular with them. So this year, the collective group actually posted a combined electrical design revenue total, which is what the companies are based, the rankings are based on. Um, for the full year from 2022, uh, that was 22% higher than last year. So the actual numbers were 3.918 billion as compared to 3.204 billion. Um, that's as the whole collective group of 40 companies. So, um, you know, just with how things are going, I guess that kind of surprised me a little bit this year that it was 22%. I wasn't really expecting something that high. So uh, I just, to start off, does that surprise you at all? And maybe why or why not? I'll start uh, for absence of uh, anybody else, but yeah, thanks, Ellen. Um, no, it doesn't surprise me, uh, to be perfectly candid. Uh, our our growth organically was 20% last year. Electrical was a little bit higher than our mechanical growth, and I think the the trends are going to continue along those lines, and I'd say there there are tailwinds. I, I'm confident that uh, my, my colleagues at IMEG and, and Henderson will say the same, but the, the, the tailwinds being that everything electrification uh, the decarbonization, uh, building energy systems, automation controls, they're all, you know, getting more complex. 
Uh, and so there are more projects that are taking place. The projects are getting more expensive. They're more complex. And candidly, there are fewer engineers and fewer teams to do the work. So there's going to be price escalation. We're seeing that significantly still over the last several years. And I, I think those trends are going to continue for a decade plus ahead. So, uh, you know, all things EV and infrastructure, uh, it's really a, a good place to be if you're an electrical engineer. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's it's going to be more of the same. So combination of those things that, uh, yeah, our, our total growth as an organization was 60% last year and just organic wow. was 20% alone. Uh, so I, I see the trends continuing. Okay, well, Brian and Jason, how, how do you feel about that? Uh, I, I agree. And you touched on a lot of the things that uh, came to top of my mind as well, Darren. Electrification of buildings and focus on decarbonization sustainability, I think, is one of the major drivers. Uh, you touched on that. You touched on uh, integrated controls. I think the added technology in buildings um, overall is, is driving it as well. Um, you know, I anticipated seeing maybe a little bit of dip in our industry uh, over the past year with rising interest rates and, and the threat of recession, and we just haven't seen that at all. And um, I think several factors have, have added to that and, and to our strong industry uh, continuing to move forward through 2024, but um, Darren, I think you nailed it. I don't disagree there, Ellen. I'm, this is a great summary there. I mean, when you take a look at the electrical industry and all the time in the past, this is one of the most exciting times to be in electrical design industry right now. There's so much going on. So we expected some growth. We're all service-based organizations. Uh, we see that growth. We want to grow with it. We're growing organically and through acquisition. We, we see mm -hmm. that as important for both. If there's any surprise, it's maybe the amount of acceleration. When you take a look at the economic inflation and the stimulation that's out there, and you see the supply chain limitations mm -hmm. that are not in, probably in place for the interim or even the long-term, and we see that increased market demand for a variety of reasons uh, out there, that increased demand seems to be lockstep right with the increased costs that are occurring in the market. And that's just usually opposite of what, what normal is. Hmm. When you take a look at increased project cost and the logistics and dynamics that have increased in the market, and really take a look at consultant fees and design fees, they've been re relatively stable compared to those project costs. So, so therefore, what we see is, is that design and planning of projects is more important than ever, and the value associated with uh, design services that have been stable compared to the other portions of the project are just really pivotal right now. Okay, great. Maybe, maybe Ellen, I'll just even add, I mean, I, great, mm -hmm. uh, great comments, uh, Brian and Jason, and I would say it's it's an exciting time as Brian shared in our, in our space. And, uh, you know, I always share, there's so much intrinsic reward that our teams get by the projects that we're doing and the impact that we make in our communities. But it's, it's now more than ever that the financial rewards are being aligned with what I would consider to be other professionals. And it's it's long overdue. And uh, we've got extremely talented, smart people in our electrical design industry. And I would say the rewards have not been commensurate with their contributions. And, and now they're starting to, to be realized, which is cool. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's an exciting time for sure in our industry. That definitely sounds good. Um, so, you know, unlike a few years ago, um, what we were seeing on the survey, um, you know, with the pandemic and, um, you know, combating those negative effects of the pandemic proved to be, you know, the most challenging tasks that top 40 firms were facing. 
Um, but it seems like the last two years, you know, now that has kind of receded, um, staffing has really emerged as the top concern. So I wanted to see if you all, you know, felt the same way that most of the survey respondents, um, staffing issues came up, uh, 94%, uh, said that that was still a big issue for them. Their top number one issue, um, compared with 92% the previous year and recruit recruitment is obviously still a priority. 92% of the survey respondents said, uh, they were adding headcount in 2023. So uh, is that a trend that you're seeing at your firms? And do you think that's going to continue? Um, you know, this is obviously kind of an ongoing problem with our industry, the electrical industry, not just electrical, but construction and other fields where, you know, there's a skilled labor shortage. So um, is that what you're seeing? Does that mirror kind of what the survey respondents said? Yeah, and maybe, but, maybe I can kick this one off. You hit on it, Ellen. We, we see skilled labor shortages across the whole AEC industry, but specifically in the fields of engineering, um, not only do we have less um, incoming students into engineering programs and colleges, but we have an aging workforce. And so mm -hmm. we have higher retirement rates of engineers um, going out of the industry. And so we're really getting squeezed in both ends. You, you combine that with the increase need for design services that we talked about um, just a moment ago. And it, it is absolutely something that um, as I talk to different firms, different clients, different design professionals, uh, this topic comes up almost in every conversation. And we certainly see that happening at Henderson Engineers. One thing I might add on to that, Darren, is you're exactly right. We see the same thing. But talent recruitment has always been a challenge for the industry. It really has, not just now. When you take a look at a lot of different other industries that can track up and down with those economic cycles, that's not the same for us. We're really taking a look at we're, we're in a different industry. We're in professional skills and we're in service markets. That's a career commitment. So when we're doing uh, recruitment as, as teams here uh, between our different organizations, uh, the recruitment and acquisition decisions are long-term mutual commitments between the organization and the employee. And, and you really got to be in a spot where, where your organization has a, has a structure and culture for, for that longevity. And, and that's not for everybody always. So it's not only just that challenge, it's you're looking for, for specific persons. You're looking for people that are attracted to long-term growth. Um, they're also looking for, um, and not afraid of, being continuously in a self-discovery situation because of all the dynamics in the industry. And then also there's sometimes where we got to be patient with the dynamics in the industry. It's not always going uh, exactly where we want to be. It's not something that, that you're going to get in and out of and, and out of again, you need to stay with it. But once we find those people, I, I think my uh, industry colleagues here and peers would, would agree that being teachable when, you're, when you enter the industry and then first, and then uh, following that up with design skill development and then mentoring others, then leveraging that experience after you've, after you've taught it and learned it yourself and then leading teams and then, and then getting into ownership uh, opportunities with, with your firms is, is the main path that we've, we've seen to be successful. Yeah, I think uh, my colleagues, I, I don't know that I, I would only compliment what they're saying. I completely agree with everything that uh, has been shared already. Uh, as an industry, we're, as an organization for Solace O'Brien, we're trying to do more outreach into high schools and particularly into college to influence people to come into our industry because 
look, this is this is our future. This is this is our country. This is what we we need to encourage people instead of going maybe other technology to go into our building space. And uh, we're going to have a real problem as, as as an industry if we don't start getting more people uh, excited about what we're doing. It's because the prospects are bright. Uh, so we're trying to do more outreach to get people excited about it and go into this from a college and then keep them within the industry as well. So more internships, more outreach. Uh, and then, you know, as, as Brian and uh, uh, Jason both said, making sure that we keep them in the industry and uh, training and developing them. And I want all of our team members, and I know my colleagues are the same, they're great organizations, but to see them from being an interns to being new graduates and that they see a path to being a principal in the organization and how do we develop and train people and being employee owners there. There are unfortunately not as many organizations that you can see a path to, to ownership. And I know the, the three of us uh, do have that. And I think it's distinguishing. And, and the rewards should be aligned and commensurate, whether it's salary, it's benefits and bonuses and, and ownership. And I think that's uh, really uh, keeps people engaged and they see professionally that they're working on you know, high impact projects that are, are world leading. So that's uh, it's an exciting industry to be in for sure, but we need to do a better job of recruiting people here. because. As we've already said, uh, we can't be stealing from one another. We need to be growing more people in the industry. Darren, you mentioned that um, high school recruitment is really important. I think driving diversity, equity, inclusion into our industry is really important too, um, because we just need more engineers uh, from all areas of the country, all backgrounds. Um, it, it's been an industry that has primarily been driven by by white males, if we're honest. Yeah. And um, we need to continue to work to try to drive that in different ways. Totally agree. It's, it's interesting that you brought that up, Darren, though, about the, you know, obviously we have to recruit them, but then you have to retain them. And some of the things that came up in the survey were, you know, once you put all this time and effort into training these interns and teaching them, and then, you know, let's say they go to another engineering firm, you know, and that's really frustrating. So mm -hmm. not only do you have to train them, but you have to be able to keep them. And it seems like kind of the younger generation, we've had this with different conversations on different subjects but you know different things are important to them than maybe were to us like at my age um you know was getting the job what is the salary you know different things are important to them now that maybe weren't important to you know people who are 50 years old now so um you're having to be a little more creative about what incentives you need to entice them with or, or would you agree with that yeah definitely i mean he, he, you know old school engineering firms were look you were expected to put in 50 to 60 hours a week. And if you kind of mm -hmm. weren't on that track, thank you very much to uh, go somewhere else. But you know, now uh, we have to be more mindful of uh, retaining people and that people go through different stages in their life and have different priorities. And our, our philosophy, I'm sure is similar to my colleagues is that we, we wanna make sure we're an accommodating organization that are, aren't on uh, the, the, the expectation is that we want to attract the best talent and retain the best talent and that you are contributing to the organization's success and that you're you're rewarded based on your contributions to the organization. And it doesn't have to be 50 hours a week or 60 hours. It can be a 30 hour week, it can be a 40 hour week. And as you're going through different periods of life, maybe you're a younger woman and you're having children and you wanna work 20 hours a week. Perfect, mm -hmm. we wanna keep you in the organization. And in fact, we have right. uh, one of our managing principals who you know, was part-time for you know nine years as she was uh, raising her children. And, and so mm -hmm. that flexibility I think was less tolerated and now right. it has to be something that we really embrace uh, you know as organizations and, and for all the right reasons right I think we're going to continue to find ways to change the way our industry delivers our work product also and that's going to have an effect on everything that Darren just said um, 
you know, for us, culture, just, just like the other firms that are represented here, culture is, is huge for us. And we mentioned past to ownership. We recently uh, made the transition over to 100% ESOP. So uh, that is something that we certainly believe helps to engage our employees in that ownership mindset and helps our firm move forward. Uh, but I think continuing to find ways to drive high value, high consultancy type of work product, uh, that may not mean that in the future we're delivering you know, a 500 sheet drawing set for, for a building. We might be delivering a building model and, and um, different ways that we're integrating with the design team the construction team from beginning to end of a project that completely changes the way that we drive consultancy uh, comparatively to what it is today. Okay, I'd like to just quickly touch on, I think Brian mentioned this earlier, um, supply chain issues. Are, are you all still seeing that as a huge issue? Um, you know, before what factors were identified as having the greatest short-term impact on, on engineering firms. And last year, the majority named delayed projects. That was the most challenging. Um, but this year, supply chain issues, which would be obviously delays in equipment and material shortages, um, pushed way past that. It was obviously number one. So um, are you seeing any any relief there or in the field or what's going on with the job sites on this front? I think one of the things that we've seen is that the equipment supply chains are still a concern. And unlike the previous previous situation, uh, suppliers and vendors have gotten into a spot where, where it's become commonplace. And in a lot of cases, they can be a little bit more profitable by not overproducing in some mm -hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. We're also um, seeing that some vendors have overcommitted a lot of their production for the entire year to specific industries like data centers. There's a, there's a lot of electrical distribution equipment has already been pre-purchased a good portion of the whole year's production from several manufacturers. Other, other suppliers have choke points on other raw materials and integrated circuits because it's because it's the latter throughout throughout the ended throughout the industry there. You know the solution that we've seen, and this is a dynamic solution, is that innovation and creative partnerships with those vendors is one of the, one of the better solutions. So sometimes switch gear, even though it's more expensive, is more readily available than switchboards. Sometimes fused distribution is a great alternative to circuit breakers because maybe we can't get circuit breakers. In other cases, when we're, we're trying to design around a switch gear type light situation, we're looking into custom gear or busway systems as a solution. But really, on any significant project, getting with the with a local representation that's providing uh, materials and products and distribution equipment and having discussions with them and their supply teams from their factory supply chains of what they can get over the next several months and the duration, construction duration of the project is, is a really valuable discussion, bringing them to be part of that. I think it's incumbent on us as design professionals, you mentioned this a little bit, Brian, in making sure that we're evaluating all of our options because we all have our standard specifications out there and those approved pieces of equipment, um, the, those approved specifications that we've used on, on different types of projects. 
and and you mentioned just looking for different solutions and i think um leveraging our relationships with either our clients and, and henderson's fortunate enough to work with some larger clients that that are able to leverage the industry a little bit um, or work directly with our vendors on on what products are available and how can we work to best design those into the products to still meet our clients needs and, and in the end achieve their goals yeah, I, I uh, completely agree with uh, my colleagues here, and and I would say it, it requires a lot more planning, a lot more conversations with our kind of supply chain equipment providers. Nobody wants scheduled disruptions or delays, uh, but mm -hmm. it does happen. I would say it's not, from from our perspective, not significant, but it, it's definitely happening, and it just requires a lot more thoughtful planning, pre-purchasing uh, of equipment so that there are no you know delays in schedule, particularly. Right. And people are just better at dealing with it probably now that's been going on for a bit. So um, it's not such a shock to the customers mm. probably, but you, you have to be the liaison. So I'm sure it's difficult to try to, you know, make sure everybody's happy. Um, let's get into the hot and cold markets. What's hot and what, what what's not. As far as the survey goes, um, things really haven't changed over the years. I mean, healthcare came in at number one. It's been number one, I think for five years um, this year, I believe power, um, took over manufacturing um, as a hot market. And then not surprisingly, hospitality and retail did not fare as well. Um, so I'd like to hear what strategic areas your firms are pursuing this year. Does that match up with the, the survey as a whole? And you know, has your focus changed at all considering um, you know, the shift in resiliency of certain markets? Well, we've historically seen uh, certain market types and, and delivery methods uh, go hot and cold. We have. Um, as we've continued to grow and become more of a national and global type organization, that's changed a little bit. Um, strategically, our teams uh, tend to be focused towards one or two market segments. Now, all of our all of our teams can do the general commercial type projects that are that are local, and those are great commercial projects. It's great fill in and, and backlog work for us, but that strategic focus of each of our teams focusing in one or two different major markets, that travels, especially with the demand that's in the market. Some of these slower, slower industries, uh, they, they're slowing down, but they're not stopping. They're not stopping. And so the demand for expertise is still there. So when you have general practice and a master of none, that travels really poorly. Mm -hmm. But when you have teams that are focusing in and have expertise with the ability of having local support as well, that travels extremely well. So we haven't seen it as much as we have maybe a decade ago related to those hot, cold markets uh, being a negative to us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, we, we definitely see what you have talked about as far as hot and cold markets. Um, retail is is one of our largest sectors at Henderson. And, and of course we've seen a downturn in, in retail. I think everyone has. And um, I think retail and business TI in, in uh, particular are going to struggle for uh, the coming years just based on the amount of real estate that's out there. Um, for us, those hot markets are healthcare. And we see that both on the inpatient side, um, but we also see it on the outpatient side with the surge in MedTail and just the ways that the healthcare industry is really starting to reach out um, to get themselves almost closer physically to the public. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we certainly are, are seeing growth in those areas. Uh, aviation and venue has been strong for us. So sports, venue, and aviation, uh, 
especially with the infrastructure bill has been strong. Mm -hmm. um, mission critical is an area that um, specifically our Henderson Building Solutions team, but even on Henderson engineer side, we've seen uh, tremendous growth. Uh, industrial warehouse, um, grocery is a really strong sector for us at Henderson, and, and we've actually seen a lot of a lot of work in regards to grocery stores, but it's been focused um, not as much on expansion, but more remodels and okay. uh, and really sustainability and energy focus, um, refrigeration retrofits, things like that. Hmm. Uh, and then science and technology has been a really strong market area for us uh, over this past year. Yeah, I mean, I just to add, uh, I think everything has been said, uh, commercial, definitely uh, soft, going to stay soft for a while. There's going to be opportunities and uh, kind of retrofit repurposing for sure. But, uh, you know, our, our, our target markets have always been, we'll say, institutional type of clients where they evaluate their real estate as a strategic asset for the long term. They're not looking to sell. Uh, we like to be in that space just because they're they're doing more energy analysis. They're doing decisions over a longer life cycle evaluation. They're looking at utility costs, uh, operating costs, and we help them assess those best systems. So for us, the market sectors of telecom, data center, healthcare, higher ed, pharma, food and beverage, uh, industrial manufacturing, and, and defense are our target markets because they have those characteristics and and they continue to, to buy. So you know we try to say, let's, let's sell the relationship one time, and then we continue to service them and do all of their small projects and large projects as well. Uh, but particularly, as you mentioned uh, on the healthcare side, all of those markets are actually really going well. Uh, healthcare, we've, we've probably won, I'm going to say six or seven multi-billion dollar projects just in the last six months. Uh, and two that are all electric hospitals. I think the second oh, and wow. third all electric hospital today. So we're mm -hmm. going to start seeing a lot more of that here in the future. And again, driving the demand for, for, uh, uh, clean energy, uh, sustainability, and decarbonization. I mean, it's it is definitely accelerating quickly, and uh, I'm glad to to see you know, corporate decision makers seeing that it makes sense, it pays, it's from an ROI, but it's also a responsible thing to do. So, it's uh, it's exciting to see. Uh, there's again, as we talked about, great great growth ahead. Uh, but I think the two two or three markets are going to be a little soft for a while, just because they're more interest rate sensitive and a little more cyclical. Okay. Yeah, the, the number of large projects, to your point, Darren, that we've seen that have gone all electric uh, has really gone up over the past year, uh, past couple of years, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, for us, one of those big ones was KCI Airport. Um, uh -huh. But it, it's, it, it's, re you're really starting to see a focus on it. When you start to see major multi-million dollar projects that are um, going all electric, you know, the industry is turning. Yeah. That is such a good transition into the next discussion I wanted to have is, okay, so, um, you know, like last year, the majority of the top 40 firms, it was 71% last year compared to 70% this year. So it's about the same. Um, they expected the federal infrastructure funding is going to have a minor to moderate positive impact on their business. It sounds like you all are seeing that maybe it's bigger than people initially thought it was going to be. Um, I'm interested in finding out, you know, is this work? Um, are that you've always been interested in getting or we're always working in? Or are you going to be taking on new types of revenue streams that you're going to go into some of these, you know, niches that relate to the infrastructure funding? Uh, for mm -hmm. example, um, some of the major issues, obviously, electric vehicle charging came in first. Like, what do they think? What did the respondents say was going to be the biggest increase in new project activity in 2023? 
the majority all said electric vehicle charging infrastructure. So that was number one. Um, last year, roads and bridges was number one. So that was overtaken. Um, renewables came in second. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get a, a feel for what your firms are doing in this kind of space. Is this something that, you know, just certain players are able to play in? Obviously, these are huge products, you know, the federal projects. So I'm not sure how that relates to, you know, some of the other listeners and, and company that are at, you know, smaller companies, but, um, you know, what's going with gearing up for this type of work and what are you guys seeing in those sectors and maybe what you're going to be going after? Yeah, maybe I'll start, uh, maybe my colleague will have different opinions, but I, I would say this, uh, I'm, I'm excited that the federal government has this focus in trying to help with this transition and providing incentives. I don't know that uh, that it was necessarily needed the additional uh, investment because I think the the movement was already going that way from a private perspective and candidly I don't know I don't know how much work that all of the teams can handle because uh, mm -hmm. we're I think fairly robust as it is but I'm I'm excited about more investment being made in the space uh, you know we will stay focused on kind of the target markets that we're at so we do a lot of EV programming whether it's solar or PV or battery storage and EV systems for some of our clients, but that's not a major focus of our practice, as I already mentioned, the, the target mm -hmm. market. So uh, we haven't seen a lot of funding, I would say, coming yet to the mm -hmm. to our organizations. It's starting to happen. We're, we do a lot of geothermal work, so we're starting to see more geothermal incentives uh, and putting together uh, projects uh, with that, that help subsidize some of those investments. Um, we did just uh, win a, a big project uh, this related to the CHIPS Act. So that money is starting to stream out there, which is exciting. And mm -hmm. I think for, for all of our national defense needs, it's it's long overdue. Uh, but I think, yeah, it really hasn't even started from my perspective. And I think it's going to only provide further uh, tailwinds uh, to our industry and the demands for what we're doing. So I think generally very, very positive for, for everybody. I think similar to Solace, Brian Henderson is is focused on the areas of expertise that we already have. Um, we do see effects of the federal infrastructure bill, um, primarily for us, that's in aviation, um, some of our, our community and civic buildings, uh, S&T, university spaces, um, but then also, like you mentioned, an EV uh, charging. A lot of times, if we're doing electric vehicle charging, we end up having the discussion about PV and solar also, um, which, which is good, but those are limited to more of I would say the parking lot, the parking garages, the campus-wide systems versus the major infrastructure systems. Those just happen to be firms that um, that are working on stuff outside of what Henderson's area of expertise is. From our perspective, Ellen, uh, it's great to see that we're coming. We see it probably on our, our electrical discipline uh, within, within IMEG probably being uh, ripple effects from some of our other disciplines, we're a multi-discipline service provider. And we, we see some of that electrically benefiting as it comes through and, and led by other disciplines. Now, of course, there are some of the electrical grid and infrastructure, uh, electrical charging and those types of types of projects. And we're seeing some of those, we're seeing some RFPs, some RFQs, we're seeing some interest in it. We haven't seen huge volumes of it, uh, the other aspect of it is that they're nice projects and we're happy to, to be part of those, but we really don't see them being the types of projects that are going to de demand super high uh, quantities of design and engineering hours to really uh, turnkey for the end users and, and clients. 
So, so we're looking forward to it, but we don't see it taking over our primary focus. Okay, that kind of goes along with it. One of the secondary questions we asked was, you know, um, how big of what percentage do you feel like you're going to get a boost from this infrastructure funding? And it wasn't big. Most people said they expected a 5% increase. So it's not like they're expecting this to be some huge, you know, free fall of funding that's going to be changing the way they're doing their business. So it's just something that's going to be added on. It sounds like um, if the customers want it, you're able to do that. So it's not going to be like a major focus necessarily. I think if you're, if your firm is focused on, um, wastewater, if your firm is focused mm -hmm. on roads and bridges, you see a bigger impact. And I would imagine that the surveys would show that, um, but specifically in the electrical industry, I think that sounds about accurate. Okay. I'd like to kind of move into a little discussion about technology here, as that relates to a lot of these big, huge projects, all of these companies are working on. So, um, we always ask questions about AI, augmented reality, virtual reality tools. We've been doing that for years, kind of tracking how is this progress going, who's adopting it, implementing it in the field. And it's it's been slow to, to catch on, as, at least from the survey results. Um, but I'd like to see, you know, they've been buzzwords for a while, but now it seems like people are actually starting to implement the technology into their work. So I wanted to hear from you all. Um, do you have any real world examples of how you're using um, you know, any of these technologies in the field, I'm sure our listeners would be really interested in seeing, you know, what you're doing there. Yeah, I'm happy to go first. Um, at Henderson, we definitely have a focus on uh, trying to increase our tools. You mentioned retail being down. And one of the things that, that we did with our team is really focus on ways that we could drive uh, I think efficiency is kind of where everyone starts to look at, uh, okay. but then even drive into uh, automated design and in ways that we can start changing um, what we're doing. I talked about delivery models earlier, and mm -hmm. for us, we're taking that opportunity within what might be a little bit of a down market to see if we can really make some strides there. Um, we've, we've done things, I think, first of all, the industry is moving towards fully utilizing Revit and we're starting to realize what that truly means. Uh, again, I believe personally, that's going to drive our deliverables in the future. Moving into doing uh, more for DFMA, uh, design for manufacturing and assembly, uh, beginning to look at modularizing pieces of our design in ways that then can be replicated in the field or pre-built off-site and brought into and, and speed up the actual construction process. Um, we have developed tools in-house where uh, we're able to do that. We've coordinated with contractors. And um, for example, we have a, a, a duct tool that that we utilize um, and have uh, some relationships with some uh, mechanical contractors that allow us to modulize that equipment. We're looking for ways to do that electrically and across our other disciplines. Um, and we 100% are investing in AI and generative design. And uh, I truly believe that as we see staff shortages, that we're going to have to drive the industry towards a piece of our design being automated so that mm -hmm. we can we can focus on being the consultants that our clients need and driving their design solutions and not necessarily sitting uh, sitting at a computer doing just design. Well, that that's so interesting. Are you all the, you all seeing that same thing? Jason, yeah, Jason agree. I mean, internal to IMAG, we have a, an ideas program, a separate group that just focuses on in a, innovation. Mm -hmm. And that program takes participants that have been on our design teams for years and allows them to step away from the day-to-day -day 
related to project responsibilities and for a limited amount of time, they focus on innovation. And working with our director of innovation and others inside the organization as a group. And we have specific goals for them to, to tackle uh, while they're on that, on that program. And then at the conclusion of that, we return them back to their teams and they take with them the lessons learned and the developments that they've had, and they become a catalyst on their individual teams related to uh, promoting culture and innovation of ideas throughout the organization. Uh, we've absolutely been in a position where we've had our own developers, our own software programmers, and create our own tools. So for years, for years, we'd be in a spot where in the past, where you have your reference materials, you have your calculations, you have your rules of thumb, and and you're transferring them into a computer, you know, from those those types of items. Where those rules of thumb and those those calculations we're bringing in through custom tools right into the Revit platform. Um, it makes sense to free up the talent that we spend a tremendous amount of time recruiting, training, developing, and keeping, letting them focus on the client and let computers do what they do best. And they quite frankly do some of those uh, repeat calculations a lot better than we do as, as designers, you know, human designers. And it, we really see by capitalizing on those tools that, that we're really taking errors on emissions, uh, driving them towards zero with those custom tools and bring up our, our valuable time for consulting. When you take a look specifically at virtual reality and augmented reality, I think in the industry and being exposed to it, it's one thing for us, for clients that might be only doing a a project or two, it's it's a difficult topic for them to understand. So we've seen some success, some success related to um, blending a couple different different items related to augmented reality and virtual reality. Uh, we can we can definitely simulate in three dimensions and have walkthroughs, uh, virtual reality walkthroughs related to a space. But sometimes that doesn't always translate for a user group or, or, or a client yet, because they're just not familiar with it. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that we've been able to do that's really helped as well is especially if we're in a, in a type of project with a client where we're doing a building addition or they have some existing spaces and we have scope of work in those areas, it's nice to go in and just do a complete point cloud of the space. And we get, we get an exact model, we bring it back into Revit and then we can have them experience that in virtual reality and augmented reality situations as well. So, so we, can, we can start with an end user that's not really familiar with the technology. And even when you show it to them, it's, it's a challenge for them. But they can go into a space that they're already familiar with. And then we can show them what that looks like in a 3D and virtual reality situation. And then we can build from there and show in 3D and let them walk through the space that they're planning, that it hasn't been constructed yet. And through that, through that process, it's helped us uh, bridge the gap related to uh, end users uh, getting the information that they need to make good decisions. That's amazing. Has, is that something you've been doing just within the last year? Or have you been doing that for many years? Like this is something you've been doing. It's been increasing. It's definitely not for every project. Uh, 
or every end user group. Sometimes there's other obstacles or um, interests that, that don't make it appropriate, but we try to capitalize it on, on it as much as possible, especially when we're uh, got the ability to uh, use the cloud um, program to to simulate an existing space that we're familiar with. That that really seems to resonate. Yeah, I just I think I completely uh, concur uh, and very aligned with uh, what what Brian and Jason both had said. And I, I guess just to complement uh, their messaging, I would say we we as an organization, to to your first point, it's hard to find great people in our industry, and we're not, we're not building enough talent in the space. Mm -hmm. So what do we do to help lift up our people so that they can do more and get more output? We'll say at the end of the day with these increasing demands. So as was said, I mean we've we've hired a a new chief information officer to help with our technology transformation. The goal being first, how do we make sure that we're most efficient in terms of our delivery? So it, it frustrates me to no end when I've got you know one team doing the same calculations uh, differently and, and mm -hmm. let's automate this so that we can lessen the amount of time and share our knowledge more freely and more openly across the organization and, and utilize uh, you know, what's already been done instead of recreating the wheel. So that knowledge share and transfer and consistency uh, can save us a lot of time. And then how do we empower, as I said, our team members to maybe a junior designer to move into a senior designer role more quickly. So if we can use AI, can we use these tools where there are standards and they know how to access it and can, can uh, help them do more than what they traditionally would have done. That's what we're trying to achieve. And then how do, how do we, all of the AI will uh, have an immediate impact, impact on quality. So there's less mistakes, less errors. That will be uh, an immediate, we're already realizing benefits along those lines and more efficient work, less change orders, you know, happier clients at the end of the day. And then I'd say the next step is project management. How, you know, engineers typically have not been great project managers. We're great technically. How do we ensure excellent communication, timely communication and experience with our clients? And so AI tools can help automate a lot of that and make it easier for our teams to, uh, to manage projects and ensure a, a good customer service experience at the end of the day. So communication, the project management, all of these tools we're trying to work on and building our own software tools and evaluating other software tools to bring into the organization just for, for gains and efficiency, uh, project management and improved quality delivery. So, yeah. Well, so many possibilities. So I think we should just definitely make a, a note to come back next year and see what's happened <laughs> in the last year because I'm sure it'll be even more uh, innovations happening. So we're getting close to time here. So I did want to give you all a chance to um, kind of weigh in one of the, the things our listeners usually like to hear the most is like, what do the experts think? Um, what are the next big things that you think we all need to watch going into, you know, the end of this year and maybe into 2024? What's keeping you up at night? What are you thinking about? What do you think is going to happen? Nobody has a crystal ball, obviously, but, um, you know, any thoughts there and then we'll we'll close out from there. Jason? Sure. Yeah, I can go first. Um, <laughs> there is a huge push to collect and utilize as much data as possible in the world. And um, companies are finding more and more ways to make more and more data decision, data-based decision-making. Mm -hmm. And I believe engineering is going to continue on that trend as well. Uh, each one of our firms has huge amounts of data on building systems. And um, we were in general not 
very good at organizing that data and then being mm -hmm. able to utilize it in the ways that maybe some other industries have figured out how to do. And so I think that you're going to continue to see on top of all the tools that we talked about, um, you're going to continue to see us leveraging data in a way that drives automated design, generative design, AI, and, and all the things that we talked about that is going to transform our industry. And I mentioned earlier, I believe it's gonna change our work product and I truly do believe that it will. I think that we will be working in work products that are Revit models or, or in ways that is a direct communication to uh, the contractor. And we're going to be able to make live changes as problems arise on a construction site and, and have a more seamless integration of the design team. Yeah, I, I uh, think uh, Jason's right on the mark. Uh, I share with my team all the time. I go, look, we do 11,000 projects a year and we're not harnessing the data to help us make design, design decisions. It's like we could probably do, you know, 70 plus percent of the design with more tailoring to the specific situation. But there, there's rarely a project where we haven't seen the same thing time and time and time again. But how do we find that information and apply it to the same situation? So I think the tools of big data and AI are going to help accelerate that for sure. Uh, it'll be very powerful. We're not there yet, but it's it's coming. Okay. Darren, Jason, uh, right on, right on, absolutely. I think the other thing that we're probably going to see is additional consolidation of design firms. I think that's going to continue. Smaller firms getting, getting pulled into larger firms. Uh, we've definitely done that through acquisitions ourselves. Um, other other peers have done it. For the end user, for clients that have been working with that smaller firm locally, that shouldn't be something to be afraid of. It should be something that, that you look forward to. I, we understand the situation where uh, you've been working with them a long time and what's gonna change? What's gonna change with the culture? It, mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, not much is gonna change from, we still have people serving people and we have relationships. But the benefits associated with, with consolidation there is the shared resources, the custom tools, the innovation that just can't be supported with, with uh, smaller boutique regional uh, groups. And, and there's just that overall sharing of talent where you can take experts regardless of where they are in the organization or on the planet and be able to leverage that but then have personal service at, at the local spot. We're gonna see that. A couple other things that, that we anticipate is we see the precedent related to 480 volt and 208 volt systems for power distribution being challenged. We see an opportunity for POE and maybe even class four distribution that offers digital and power on the same, same backbone uh, with the opportunity to do improved safety safety in the in the field not only for general projects but it, but uh, in healthcare applications uh, class four is is very interesting wiring system we're already doing that yeah it's, yeah. it's a massive massive savings in terms of timing schedule labor and way safer and space within yeah. a hospital plenum jason darren what it, we were also thinking that we'd see uh, power quality surface as a topic especially when we start moving away from reliance on the utility grids and we start getting into microgrids, finite power systems. Uh, we anticipate that there's gonna be a resurfacing of, a, of importance related looking at power quality. One of, one of the other ones that we may offer out there that we, that we see at least 
trending out there. And uh, Jason and Darren probably see this also, but the potential for a paradigm shift with overcurrent protection and the, just the way we do protection uh, for electrical distribution systems mm. is really a push as long as, as soon as it can become economical and it can be mass produced. See the opportunity for utility grade features and characteristics being moved into the commercial building. And we're talking about metering, we're talking about communication between breakers and different overcurrent protection devices, and maybe even shifting into utility grade protection where you have a power trip unit with a central logic controller and AI, artificial intelligence, that's actually doing the protection. That, that could definitely be something that we're looking at within the next next decade. Yeah, I think you'll see that drive into certain industries um, and then become more widespread. Uh, but I, I can definitely see that. Well, it looks like we're about out of time. Thank you so much to our guests for sharing their industry insight, knowledge, and experiences with us today regarding the latest trends in the electrical design industry. In closing, I'd also like to thank Managing Editor Ellie Coggins and Associate Editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website at acmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ACNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parsons signing off of ACNM On Air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out our website for more podcasts and other great content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.